Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Hello and welcome to The Intelligence on Economist Radio. I'm your host, Jason Palmer. Every weekday, we provide a fresh perspective on the events shaping your world. Every four years, on the second Wednesday of November, Americans wake up with a new president-elect. Except in times when things aren't clear. We are in those times. We talk about what to look out for as vote counting continues, examine how The Economist's election model has performed so far, and check in with our correspondents in America to see how their evenings went. After a long slog of an election campaign, the results are, well, still coming in. Your patience is commendable. We knew this was going to go wrong. Winning is easy. Losing is never easy. Not for me, it's not. There was always the chance that America's election night would end without a clear winner, that the tallies in a few key states would swing it, with those votes still to be counted. Voter turnout, both in person and by mail, has increased massively, but some states haven't even begun to count postal votes yet. That could take days. Both candidates addressed their supporters, with Joe Biden making it clear the fight was far from over. I'm here to tell you tonight, we believe we're on track to win this election. We knew because of the unprecedented early vote and the mail-in vote, it was going to take a while. President Donald Trump did what many had predicted, hinting that he believed he'd already won. But he went further, suggesting that the vote should be halted. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. We want all voting to stop. We will win this, and as far as I'm concerned, we already have won. A resounding victory for either candidate wasn't to be. And as a whole nation bites its nails, it's clear that more battles are coming. The speech the president gave at 2 a.m. in Washington was irresponsible and unsurprising. John Prido is our United States editor and the host of Checks and Balance, our sister show on American politics. It was irresponsible because there are still millions of votes that have already been cast but haven't been counted, and those need to be counted, as frankly the president should very well know. It was unsurprising because analysts have been predicting something like this for for months. That on election night, before the postal votes were counted, Donald Trump would be looking good and that he'd declare victory and ask the vote count to stop and that that you'd then perhaps see a blue shift that was more favourable towards Joe Biden. So this is a thing that was predicted by a lot of people, but the fact that it was predicted doesn't make it less shocking in some sense. With perhaps the most shocking thing being the, the, the sort of offhand suggestion that he would ask the Supreme Court to, to stop counting. That's out of the question, isn't it? Yes, that was downright 
weird, really. It's not clear what the Trump campaign would really ask the Supreme Court to do. The Supreme Court can't just order vote counters around the nation to stop counting and certainly wouldn't do so even were it within its power to do so. So I think that was a bit of wishful thinking on the president's part. I mean, most of the speech he gave was a commentary on the results, pointing out correctly that he'd done much better in many states than most analysts and most polls suggested he would. And that was all fine until he got to the point where he started saying there'd been huge fraud and that the Supreme Court needed to step in to prevent the vote count from continuing. But even aside from the highest court, there are still going to be legal challenges of some kind, one presumes. Yes, there certainly will be. There were several hundred legal challenges lodged already. The closer this election is, the more likely those legal challenges are to really matter. People are looking at states like Pennsylvania, where the counting is quite slow and lots of potential for legal challenges there. So that's right. The closer the results are in the Midwest, the more likely we are to see an election where the courts get involved. Do you see the the kinds of troubling statements Mr. Trump made earlier leading to a really big fight as far as a constitutional crisis even? I'm still optimistic despite everything, Jason, that this process, clunky as it is, more or less works. That vote counting is slow, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the election is going to be a rerun of Bush v. Gore in Florida in lots of different states in the Midwest. So I'm still at the moment in the sort of trust the process, count the votes mode rather than in a this is going to be a really protracted legal fight in a constitutional crisis mode. But I mean, some of these races weren't even uh, expected to be tight. I mean, what's been your reaction to the way things have gone so far? Well, at the time we're talking now, there are still a lot of states that I'm really interested in that we don't have a final, final count, you know, Georgia being one, North Carolina being one, then obviously the important ones in the Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Put that to one side for the moment. Donald Trump did significantly better in Florida than polls suggested. I think we all knew that Florida was pretty much a knife edge that Donald Trump was doing better with Hispanics there than he did four years ago, but doing worse among seniors. And the question was how those two countervailing forces would balance each other out. It looks like that relative strength with Hispanics in Florida, you know, has delivered him that state fairly comfortably. Um, Texas, again, Donald Trump seems to have done, you know, less badly there than many expected. A very comfortable win for him. All the talk, which seems to come around more or less every four years of Texas being about to turn into a swing state, yet again looks premature and and silly. And the sort of general meta-narrative that Democrats have told themselves about the rising, diversifying electorate tilting the scales in their direction looks wrong. I'd add to that, Jason, that the story that college-educated white Democrats have been telling themselves for a few years now that Donald Trump is a racist who will put minority voters off Republicans for generations and make it impossible for Republicans to win the White House. That looks completely wrong as well. He doesn't seem to have done, from what we can tell so far, particularly badly with Hispanics or with African Americans. Um, Certainly not much worse than he did in 2016 and likely a bit better. So a lot of the things that people would have said with great confidence 48 hours ago don't look true now. And it's hard not to see some parallels here with with 2016, where uh, essentially the whole nation and certainly the pollsters underestimated Mr. Trump tremendously. I mean, is that not again what we're seeing here? 
Yes, that's right. The map at the moment, at the time we're talking, looks very similar to 2016 with the important difference that Joe Biden looks set to win Arizona. That opens some things up for him. Georgia, as we're talking, still hasn't been called, but I'd be surprised if Donald Trump didn't hold that. And then it comes down once again to those key 2016 states in the Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And whoever gets two out of three of those states will wind up being the next president. So from, from what you were saying, it, it sounds as if to you, this is, this is on a knife edge again. Yeah, where I'm sitting, Jason, it looks pretty much 50-50 at this point. So there's still a really good chance that Donald Trump wins another four years. I hate to ask you to, to get your crystal ball out, but do you have a sense for when we'll know the, the ultimate outcome here? I'm going to say sometime between Wednesday night and Friday night. I know that's a big window, Jason, but I can't be any more certain than that at the moment. So your rough prediction is that the, the answer will be in, in time for you to talk about this a lot more on, on Checks and Balance this week. Yeah, we're going to let the vote counters in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania know that we have a podcast deadline that we expect to be discussing the results on Friday, and they better have it finished by then. I, I think that we will have a result by then, but let's see. John, thank you very much for your time, as ever. Thanks, Jason. This time yesterday, The Economist's election forecast gave Mr. Biden a 97% chance of winning the Electoral College, with, if they had to put a number to it, 356 votes. And it predicted that Democrats would end up in control of the Senate. But, as was the case back in 2016, it seems that the underlying polling data weren't a perfect prediction of what was to come. Well, Jason, our election model is doing about as well as we can expect on average. Elliot Morris is a data journalist at The Economist and is the architect of our election forecast. There was one large upset in Florida, quite surprising result for the president, but is shaping up at least to be directionally correct. And there's this suggestion that the, that the polling data on which, well, everyone's model is built has, has been somewhat flawed. Well, there are some questions about whether or not polls underestimated Trump. It seems like that's the case pretty much nationwide, where he'll do two or three points better than the polls indicated. But with Biden having so robust uh, margin in the polls, it seems like he's been able to pull it out, whereas we saw an even smaller error in the polls in 2016, but with polls being so close, it was, of course, consequential. And do you have a sense for, for where these surprises actually came from, for instance, in Florida? So in Florida, although the polls had the race at uh, two points for Biden, it looks like the incumbent President Trump will win by around three. So the results are being primarily driven by a surprising Trump performance among Hispanics, particularly in Miami-Dade County. The, the results there point to roughly 15 or 20 percentage point swing on Democratic margin toward Trump. So he's doing about 20 points better than he did last time. That could end up being actually the largest swing in the country for a county of reasonable population. So that is a consequential swing in one of our most important and infamous swing states, driving the overall narrative of his overperformance. But do we have any idea of where the pollsters went wrong in Florida? I don't know what exactly drove the polling error in Florida for a few days. Pollsters will have to conduct their autopsies. We unfortunately don't have access to their data to do so. But it looks like there was a bit of an undersampling, perhaps, of the right-leaning Cuban, Venezuelan, and overall Latin American population in Florida. 
And getting away from the top of the ticket at last, what about the Senate races? Well, the Senate, just like the presidency, is undecided. I expect once all of the ballots are counted in Georgia, we will have a good idea of where the two Senate seats there will land. But with that three or four percentage point overperformance for Trump came a sort of overall boosting of prospects for Republicans in the Senate. It looks like the incumbent senator from Iowa, Joni Ernst, will hold on to her seat, as will Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. Though, of course, both of them were favored to keep their seats. It's just a mark of how low of expectations Democrats actually hit. There are still some open races in North Carolina, in Maine, of course, yet to be decided. But it looks like we'll end up with, at most, 51 seats for the Democrats, certainly on the lower end of our forecast. And how about turnout, which was expected on the basis of early voting to be just phenomenal? Yeah, turnout is, frankly, through the roof. We are going to see, once all the votes are counted, the best turnout for a presidential election, perhaps in over 120 years. We could be nearing 65 or 70 percent turnout or 160 million ballots compared to 130 last time around. This is nothing short of a wave of turnout, if not a wave for Democrats like we predicted. And so ultimately here, we we don't have the final answer yet. There are still plenty of votes to be counted. And so the the kind of overall assessment of how the model has performed is is, is yet to come, really. That's right. We can't produce a postmortem for our forecast for at least a few days once all of those absentee ballots are counted. So it's really anyone's guess and perhaps a fool's game to guess at this point. Elliot, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. So much is still up in the air, but let's focus on one of the precious few things that are crystal clear at this point. Americans have come out in astonishing numbers to have their say. Perhaps 160 million of them exercising their right, despite risks of voting in person in the midst of a pandemic, despite presidential falsehoods about fraud when voting by mail. Another election has only served to highlight deep divisions in America. Yet, in the course of Election Day reporting, our correspondents in America did find glimpses of unity, of a shared democratic project renewed every four years. The Declaration of Independence was signed here in Philadelphia. John Fasman is our Washington correspondent. I spent today walking around talking to poll workers and voters in various polling places around the city. And as I came back toward Philadelphia's old city, it's a beautiful square mile right on the river, I came upon a polling place that was at the Museum of the American Revolution. The polling volunteers are standing beneath the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, which is written on the wall, which reads, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. It was dark when I walked home, and I'd like to say it was the end of a long day, but really it, it wasn't close. It may well be more than one long day and night, and warnings that things might turn ugly still hold. This is Charlotte Howard, the New York bureau chief. I'm in my apartment in downtown Manhattan, and many of the national chains near me have boarded up in anticipation of unrest after the election. So far, things have been pretty quiet. The Empire State Building is lit up red, white, and blue. There are a few helicopters flying overhead, and there are protests planned throughout the city this evening. I'm going to head out to one soon. It's seven minutes after 7 p.m., and the first results have started coming in. Um, It looks as though Donald Trump is going to win Indiana and Kentucky. What I'm curious about is how high his margins are in the rural counties. So it's 7.30 Chicago time, 8.30 East Coast time. That's Adam Roberts, our Midwest correspondent, who's watching the results from an election party in Chicago. The response from Biden supporters so far in the House party I've come to is a little bit edgy. Uh, The Florida polls are not going the way that they were hoping. It looks like Trump is probably going to take Florida. So people are nervous. Um, It's still early in the evening, but those who'd been hoping for or maybe It's about 8.30 p.m. right now, and the map that I'm looking at shows Donald Trump ahead in Michigan and Joe Biden ahead in Kansas. Now, in all likelihood, that's the opposite of the way the two states are going to end up. But it is indicative of something that happens over the course of an election, which is that the leads between the two candidates change. That's why it's so important that all the votes be counted. Counting all the votes, of course, is faster said than done. It's 9.15 right now, and the first results have started to come in in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden is up by almost 20 points. In Philadelphia, where I am, he's winning a North Korean 94% of the vote. Those will obviously change. There's just 16% of the vote in so far. And for the past few days, Pennsylvania's Secretary of State and Governor have both been telling people over and over again that they're not going to have a result for a while. They're not going to have a result for a while. It's going to take a while to count all the mail ballots and to just be patient. This is Charlotte Howard. It's about 9.40. I just got back from a protest on the south side of Union Square, which is in the heart of downtown Manhattan. So I'm Emma Kaplan. I'm with RefuseFascism.org. And to be honest, it was a pretty small gathering. There were as many reporters there as there were actual protesters and the organizers wanted to make clear that... It's part of demanding that the Trump-Pence regime must go now because white supremacy is never legitimate. Theocracy is never legitimate. They felt Trump was stealing the election and that they would be on the streets in the coming days. When I got back in front of the TV, the data that had emerged since I'd left didn't look that promising for Biden. In Michigan right now, a quarter of the vote almost is in. Trump is ahead by 228,000 votes, but it's early. 23% of the estimated vote is in, 57% in Texas, 77% of the vote is in. Trump has a 250,000. So far, it's not going the way that we probably thought it was gonna go when we started tonight. 
It's not a blue wave. It's not a blue wave. Could it be a blue ripple? Uh, a blue raindrop. It's 11.30 p.m. and Fox News just called the night's first flip. They called Arizona for Biden. That was a state that Donald Trump won in 2016 that Democrats had had their eye on. Fox has called it for um, Arizona. We're feeling better. The trend is good. And it makes things a bit easier for Joe Biden. Okay. Some breathing out after some hours of tension. Upper Midwest needs to come through. Okay, the future has got to be in the Upper Midwest. But having said that, it looks as though we're not going to have a result tonight. So it's midnight in Chicago on voting day, 1 a.m. on the East Coast. The election night party is just wrapping up and the mood is a little bit grim. The Biden supporters at this party are leaving much more dejected than when they came in. There's a mood that Donald Trump is going to drag this out and make it a fiercely contested legal process. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. We're going to have to be patient until we, uh, the hard work of tallying the votes is finished. And it ain't over till every vote is counted. Every ballot is counted. What it looks like tonight will not deliver, whoever wins, is the definitive repudiation of Donald Trump and Trumpism that Democrats wanted. Joe Biden may still win this race, but he will win it fairly narrowly. And that means that the sort of ideas that Donald Trump founded his presidency on Trumpism will remain even if Trump loses. That's very upsetting to a lot of Democrats, that tonight didn't deliver that definitive rejection of Trumpism that a lot of them wanted to deliver. John Fasman, Charlotte Howard, and Adam Roberts there, being tireless political junkies so you don't have to. We'll no doubt be hearing more from them soon. For now, that's it from us. See you back here tomorrow. This is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.